I think the most important thing is to meet yourself where you're at. You know, every day is different, but being mindful, having self-awareness is really crucial. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connecting ALS. I'm your host, Jeremy Holden. The holiday travel season is upon us. According to TSA, an estimated 20 million people are expected to travel by air in the coming weeks, including 1.7 million air travelers screened by the agency on the day after Thanksgiving. And for the road warriors out there, AAA estimated 48.3 million people traveled by car just over Thanksgiving weekend. For many of those millions of people traveling this holiday season to visit family, figuring out how to navigate the conversations around the dinner table can be just as difficult as finding the perfect holiday gift. For insight on establishing boundaries around talking about ALS with distant family members over the holidays, we turn this week to the author of a recent guest blog post at ALS.org, Dr. Heidi Tarr Henson, a life coach who owns a coaching and consulting business and who was diagnosed with ALS earlier this year. In her post, Dr. Henson wrote about in-the-moment advocacy, teachable moments, and the power of setting boundaries with ourselves and with others. She wrote, I'm wearing the ALS t-shirts now. I've decided that this is the best visual cue to people around me that I'm not recovering from surgery, I'm not drunk, and you really should be nice to me because I'm dying. Of course, the t-shirt implies I'm open for conversation, and that's not always true. Conversation takes energy, and I must ration that. Sometimes no one asks, and I wish they would. I won't give it all away. You can go over to ALS.org and read her full post. But throughout our wide-ranging conversation, Dr. Henson discussed ways to establish boundaries when talking about ALS, finding grace when we are not able to be our highest self from one day to the next, and making sure that she is not defined by ALS. So let's take a listen. Well, Dr. Henson, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate being invited. Yeah, really excited to share your story and some of your thoughts with listeners. Before we get into some of the things that you've written for the association, can you just maybe introduce yourself to listeners? Talk to sure. us a little bit about your diagnosis and, and, and where you are in your ALS journey. Absolutely. Well, first off, you know, professionally is how most Americans define themselves. So I guess I'll start sure. with that. For the past, you know, 30 years or so, I've been a um, head of HR business school professor, and I have a life coaching business and consulting business. So kind of had a full life with my career. Um, personally, I'm a mother, you know, a friend, a daughter, was a rower, a dancer, a gardener, all those other types of roles. I was always also very into skeet shooting, <laughs> which is one, wow. one of the many things they don't do anymore. Although I do think you can do that from a wheelchair. I just haven't tried it yet. So in terms of my ALS journey, I right now have the lower motor neuron, which started last January. I had fallen in my bedroom, was limping for a few weeks, couldn't figure it out. I didn't seem to have any reason why I was limping. I thought it was my knee. I went into the uh, orthopedic surgeon I usually have seen for sports injuries. And he said, well, your knee's fine, but what's going on with your right foot? And I was like, what do you mean what's going on with my right foot? I, I didn't even notice that I had foot drop in my right foot. And that started an odyssey of just all kinds of tests and looking into it. I was fortunate I got diagnosed within five months of that. I got first diagnosed May 11th. And I think, you know, it's because I pushed it. You know, I'd worked in healthcare, I'd worked at health plans before. I sort of knew that you really have to be your own advocate here. 
it's easy to get lost in the mix, certainly with ALS, which I was actually familiar with. I had a friend whose mom had ALS and he was her caregiver. And that was my biggest fear. You know, I hope it's not ALS. First, they told me it wasn't. Then they told me it was, you know, you're kind of hoping it might be something like Lyme disease. So when I first got diagnosed in uh, May, I then reached out to a neurologist friend I row with and asked for a second opinion. That didn't sound too good. And then in the end of June, I was put into the ALS clinic at MGH, Mass General, which is great. So that's where I'm at. I, my mobility has really continued to decline. I have a lot of braces and a rolling walker I use, but sometimes I'm in a wheelchair. To leave the house, I'm definitely in a wheelchair. So I'm, I'm trying to get used to that. Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's a common story that we we've heard from so many people on the show about the lengthy diagnosis and yep. just, you know, thinking maybe it's ALS, I'm not sure, and you know, I know a lot of work is is going into trying to speed up that time to diagnosis, uh and obviously that that fight will continue. Heidi, you wrote a really great piece for the association, I, I guess blog post about striking a balance between wanting to raise awareness about ALS through your story, which you're sharing with us today, but then also not always wanting to have that conversation. So how do you create those boundaries of wanting to raise awareness, but having moments where you're like, I don't want to talk about this, like not yeah. now, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I don't want to always be a sick person. Yeah. But, you know, throughout my career, I've always worked with, you know, disability issues and we always want to put the person first, disability second. And frankly, I think we should do that with ourselves. You know, I'm still a person regardless of my ALS. However, who I am and what I'm dealing with is changing. So I think the most important thing is to meet yourself where you're at. You know, every day is different, but being mindful, having self-awareness, you know, is really crucial. There's going to be days, and I, I do talk about this in the article, where you know, you want to be heard, you want to, you know, be an advocate for ALS, you recognize that your presence as a person living with the disease is saying something about the larger whole. And then there's going to be days when, you know, you're not feeling up to it. I mean, this disease is so variable, and every day is different. And it's kind of the death of a 1000 cuts. So to be emotionally intelligent with yourself, I think is, is crucial, because self awareness leads to self mastery. You know, we, we can't control other people. We can't control what's happening to our body, but we can control how we respond to it. And, you know, I think that for me, it's been meaningful to kind of write about it because I, I miss my career. As I say in the article, I miss, you know, all those opportunities I had in my day to day life to feel of service to others and to be engaged with the world. But it's kind of up to me to decide how I'm going to engage now. and. You know, again, I talk about that in the article, but meet yourself where you're at. You know, remember that you're speaking for others with this disease. You become a poster child for it, whether you want to be or not. When I go out, as I talk about in the articles, I wear the ALS t-shirts. I wear the t-shirts so that people know, gee, I'm not drunk. <laughs> you know, I'm um, yeah. right. I have I have ALS. So I think, again, each day is different. Meet yourself where you're at. If you don't feel like talking about something, I talk about this in the article as well, you can say so, but you should always recognize, I think, the the higher emotion that the other person's trying to, to express. So people want to help. Most people, some people are very uncomfortable, but most people want to help and, and feel bad. And what can they do? So you can acknowledge that. You can say, you know, I, I so appreciate you asking me about this. 
But, you know, honestly, I'd rather talk about something else today. That'd be great. Sure. Yeah. yeah oh. It's all how you respond. Yeah. And it, it, it really does strike me that you're pooling from a lifetime of being a life coach. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. now the like, you know, physician. I'm full of cliches. Yes. No, <laughs> no, no. That's not what I meant. There's there's yeah. just a there's a groundedness that that comes yeah. through. And, and, and I think you talked about that self-awareness. Heidi also talked about, you know, when we we first started this this conversation about some of the hobbies, whether it's rowing or skeet shooting or dancing. Sure. You wrote in the the piece that we were talking about, you know, grappling with do I continue my career and for I how know. long? How do you kind of strike that balance between, as you've been talking about, I don't just want to be a person with ALS and all right. of the other things that make you who you are, and then as you go through maybe not being able to do things like skeet shooting anymore and having to determine do I continue my career. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a great question because it, I think it's something that smacks us in the face right when we get diagnosed because we're already into the disease process, right? So we're already losing something, whether it's cognitive or verbal abilities or, in my case, lower limbs. You know, this disease is a Roman army marching through your body intent on mm. subjugating territory. That's really how I look at it. Each day I'm... I'm trying to sort of say, well, what's going to happen today? Like, for example, personally, I, I fall a lot. I had a big fall on Saturday and it was really tough. You know, it's tough to recover from them. It shoots your confidence. And to your question, you used to be this different kind of person, right? I used to be like many of us who get diagnosed, a really active person. I mean, I was not a triathlete by any means, but you know, I was an ocean rower and boat captain. I was, again, skeet shooting every week, gardening, you know, you name it. Big traveler, I've been to 55 countries, had to cancel some trips. So you have to, number one, accept those losses. And that's very, very hard. But I think beyond accepting that loss, you have to say, well, okay, I can't do that. But what can I do? You know, can I think about what else might give me joy? in the day to day. And I mentioned mindfulness earlier, you certainly do have to be mindful, because you feel different. You're not the same sure. person you used to be. You know, even just for example, the benefits of exercise, that was always a real mental health thing for me. I worked in downtown Boston, you know, I'd walk all the time um, to and from the train at lunch, all these things, all the physical things I did, I can't do anymore. So I don't even get that endorphin rush anymore. But what yeah. can I do. And I think everybody has to ask themselves that, you know, because there's a tendency, and I write about this in my second article, and, and in the first too, to just want to sit on the recliner or the chair and, and hide out, because it takes a lot of courage to go out. And it not only because you're afraid of falling, but people's reactions, if you're slurring your speech or, or choking. But you know what, I think you feel better when you go out, even though we're mm. all different. I think we all are gratified by having some efficacy and some agency in our day. And, and that is the life coach in me. I mean, truly, <laughs> we all have to find out, well, what, what can I do now if I can't do this that gives me joy? I'm not a rower anymore, you know, but am I a watercolor painter? Am I a writer? And I know personally, you know, the writing has been really, really helpful because it allows me to feel like I'm using my brain, you know? And, sure. and that's also a very important life coaching approach. And I've had a life coaching business about 20 years. I have a doctorate in adult development. I never wanted to be a therapist. I'm not nearly patient enough <laughs> for that. But, 
But I love working with people about, you know, what's a good life to me? What matters to me? What makes me feel like I'm living and I have agency, the ability to make decisions. And you have to really work hard for that with ALS. Because again, all those moorings you had before, they're gone. They're gone. Yeah. You, you don't you don't have the same routine. You don't know what you're going to wake up to each day and everything becomes hard. Sure. So you got to find some joy in that. Well, and to that point, one of the, I thought, really inspiring passages in one of the pieces that you wrote talked about finding peace in where you are and not necessarily acceptance. What's the difference in your, in that conceptualization oh. between peace and acceptance? Right. Well, that's, that's, I think, is such a challenge and it gets back to balance and it gets back to meeting yourself where you're at. And I will add another term to that, which is very important to me personally, and I do write about this, is self-trust. You mm. have to trust yourself to meet things as they come up. So, for example, if I fall, which is devastating, it's physically painful and it kind of makes you feel like you're deteriorating. It's embarrassing, you know, all this. But I need to trust myself that if I fall again, and I'm sure I will, <laughs> that I can handle that. You know, yeah. and, and that's sort of a, a way of peace, I think. I don't think you have to always accept things. It, it's kind of like forgiveness. It, you forgive because it's a gift you give yourself, but that doesn't mean you forget. So you have to find peace, you know, with the disease, with ALS, because it's happening to you regardless. You have to find a way to live with it. But that doesn't mean you accept everything about it because that's really hard. But you can show up, I think, for yourself, check in with yourself. And also that allows you, I, I do talk a lot about relationships with others. You know, we teach people how to treat us. And by showing people that you're trying to do new things, that you're trying to, you know, accept what's happening, doesn't again mean it's always peace with it. Again, they, they can be very different things or somewhat the same that, you know, there's a place for them to kind of help you. There's a place for them to talk to you about it. I write very much, and I believe this, that our disease is happening to our family and to our friends as much as, as us. You know, a family is a system. Not everybody goes through the disease with their family, but trying to act like everything's fine, it doesn't really work either because that nullifies your experience. You know, sick people have to make decisions that other people don't when they're fully abled. So we're, as I say in my article about having end-of-life discussions, we're disabled people en route to eventually being dying people. And I'll stop here because I could go on and on. The teacher in me could go on and on, but I try not to, to talk for more than two minutes at a time. But I think that having to accept that you're dying is an incredibly difficult thing to do. But personally, I've found that important. I've needed to be able to say that to people because that's my reality, you know, and, and people do die. And what made us think it wouldn't be us, you know? Mm. Well, I, I've had the opportunity to get a sneak preview of that piece that you referenced, and we will certainly be sharing it in the show notes when it's uh, available to be shared. Great, thank you. Um, no, it's really powerful. Uh, Heidi, you've talked about relationships and, and kind of getting out into the world, wearing the ALS t-shirt, family. And it strikes me that you and I are having this conversation right on the cusp of that end of year holiday season where there's mm. a lot of family get togethers. Yep. There's a lot yep. of engagement with people and 
something maybe we weren't able to do last year. So maybe even more so uh, than usual. What advice do you have for people who are maybe engaging with a family member with ALS? And, you know, a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about disease. Oh, I know. Um, Or for people with ALS who may just want to enjoy Thanksgiving dinner or their holiday meal and not have to talk about that. What, What advice do you have about setting up some of those boundaries and just engaging with that aspect of, Mm -hmm. of, the the interaction. It's so important because not only did we not have the holiday last year, the holiday those of us living with ALS are going to have this year, the holidays are going to be different because we're not going to be able to do the things that we used to do. You know, I love to cook. I put myself through college by being a a cook and I can't make anything this year. You know, I, I can't do anything in the kitchen really. So that's a reality that I think everyone living with ALS is going to face. Gee, this holiday is different for me. I think in terms of how to interact with people, what's really important is to, and I say this in the article, is to share your truth. You know, again, you're not going to feel like doing that every day, but when you're honest, you open up a space for other people to be honest. So for example, you know, gee, this, this is really hard. You know, I wish I could have baked pies this year. That's a statement that's very much about your reality. And that's where you're coming from. People don't have to respond in any particular way, but you've opened up a space for them to be honest. You know, I I think many of us probably feel the way I do. Who wants to suddenly have your family be your caregivers? Sure. You know, but but that's happening. So you can say something like, I really appreciate you getting me to so-and-so's house today for Thanksgiving. I'm sure it was hard, but I really appreciate you making the effort. We have to, again, meet ourselves where we're at. We're not always going to feel like our higher self. You know, we all have problems. We all have moods. We all have things we do that irritate other people. But I think when you're living with disease, you're already feeling like you're not your higher self. So therefore, in the moment, try to be that higher self with others. Because holidays are about time with people you care about. And again, that balance is about about mindfulness. What do you need to say to people? What do you think they need to hear from you? You don't have to go into it and, you know, nobody likes a holiday that's uh, got huge discussions, but you can certainly, again, share your experience and ask about others' experience. Or like I said, just say thank you to people. That opens up, again, that space. So I think that's the most important thing is recognize that the holiday is going to be different for you, not just because you're together, but because you're experiencing it differently. And try to make some peace with that if you can. And then also think about, well, what do I want to say to the people I'm sharing my holidays with? What do I think they need to hear from me? And, And what would I maybe even like to hear from them? You know, again, we can't control other people, just our response to them, but we can create an environment to have better discussions. And when we're living with ALS, we we need that. We need to feel like people don't mind being there for us, but also that they understand that our experience is really difficult. But that starts with us, you know, we can share that. Just try not to expect a certain response from people, because as we know, we don't always get the response that we'd like, 
but it's more about sure. sharing and, and opening up that space to have the discussion. Yeah, we can't control the way other people respond to ourselves, nope. whether we're, we're being our higher selves or whether we're falling a little bit short of, of how we think of our higher selves on any given day. Mm -hmm. um, Heidi, it's clear you've spent a lot of time uh, since your diagnosis just really thinking about this from your perspective uh, of a life coach, of someone who, who knows about adult development, who has been a teacher for so long. Before I let you go, any other closing thoughts for listeners as they continue to navigate uh, their experiences with ALS? Oh, well, I guess I would first say to all of them, like I would say to myself, I'm so sorry we have to go through this, Right. you know, and, and again, recognizing it, just recognizing how hard it is, is the first thing I would want to say. The second thing is I'd say to people, just think about self-trust. You know, think about mindfulness, whether you meditate or not, or do any other practices. This is a disease that makes you so fully aware of your physical limitations. How can you find a way to inhabit your body in your mind with what's happening that gives you some peace and that gives you some joy? Uh, as I said earlier, try to find other things you can do and, and recognize some days you might not want to do anything. And sure. some, some days you may be really, really angry. And that's okay too. You know, trying to act like everything's great when we try to buck up for our friends and family, you know, that's pretty defeatist too, because your life isn't the same. But again, if you meet yourself where you're at, you recognize that every day can be different, but you know, whatever comes up, you're going to be able to handle it. So, so that would be what I'd say. And, and then also, the other article that will come out, I, I talk about having end of life decisions. And in that, I talk a lot about the kind of sense of psychological freedom and, and peace you get when you've kind of made plans and shared them for end of life. Because I think a lot of people don't, as you said earlier, talk about disease or talk about death. And when you have ALS, that's something that looms large because you know eventually it's coming. I, I you could probably tell I love analogies. <laughs> I use the one of it's like you're in prison waiting for your execution. You know, you know, it's coming. Uh, you just don't know when. And you're hoping you get a pardon. You know, and in this case, the pardon might be drugs, which can certainly slow your progression. But it's happening. It's happening to you. So how are you going to make meaning out of what's happening? How are you going to find, again, some moments of pleasure? And how are you going to connect to the people who matter to you? I hope I hope I gave people some good ideas with that. I uh, yeah, I think this has been great. I can't wait for people to read the pieces that you've written that we'll be sharing in the show notes. And uh, I think people are really going to connect with this. So Heidi, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about this stuff. And I'd, I'd love to connect with people too, if they'd like to, to kind of talk about things. It, it really is one of the things, again, that gives me joy in this challenging time is to feel like I'm still feeling the ability to be of service and connecting to people. So I really appreciate the opportunity to do that. Heidi, thanks so much for your time today. Take care, Jeremy. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Well, thank you again to our guest this week, Dr. Heidi Tar henson That is going to do it for this week's episode. You can find Connecting ALS wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, make sure to rate and review the show. It's a great way for us to find even more listeners. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. Post-production by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montequin. Supervised by David Hoffman. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon.